when you get to verse 10 of uh, chapter 21, it says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? Now, it's important that it says the whole city was stirred up by the fact that Jesus is coming in, and these people are calling out his name and, and praising him and saying, This is the son of David. And the crowd said, the ones that were following him, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So, so we have this picture. He's come into town with this crowd of people, and they're all excited about him, and it's causing a stir in Jerusalem. And, and the first thing Jesus does, I don't know if it's the very first thing, but Matthew records that. In verse 12, he says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city to Bethany and lodged there. <coughs> There's a couple things to, to, to think about here. As we saw in verse 10, they're saying, who is this guy? Who is this guy that everybody's getting excited about? And then he goes into the temple and he begins to turn over the, t uh, the money changers he t turns over the table of the money changers and the people who sold sacrifices, the animal for sacrifices. And so when we, look, when we think about it, that, that's a pretty important thing that he, had, he, you know, he was interrupting their business. He was interrupting their, their way, you know, their, way of, uh, their system. He had, he had just gone in and disrupted that. He had gone in and, and overturned tables. And uh, this is the second time he's done this. Back in, in, in his first year of ministry, it's recorded in the second chapter of John that he did the same thing at a different point in time. This is probably almost, uh, almost three years later that he's doing this. Again, he's coming into the temple. And so... So he's turning over their, their, their tables. And just to get an understanding of this, I don't know if you've ever been to Jillian's or Chuck E. Cheese's or anything like that, but when we were, used to live in uh, Minneapolis, or near Minneapolis, we used to go to the Mall of America, and they had this place called Jillian's, and we'd go bowling there, all the family, right? So we'd go, we'd go bowling, and between the door and the bowling alley, there was conveniently a arcade. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, in order to use the arcade, you can't just throw in a quarter and try something. You have to buy tokens, and they come in big bunches. So you buy $5 worth of tokens or $10. And so, you kind of had to buy the tokens because everybody wanted to play the games, little games of basketball and different things, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, you know. And so, it, I realized that, you know, my kids are fond of me saying, that's how they get you, you know? <laughs> but, you know, that's what dads say. You know, I kind of see the scheme, you know? Here, you have to buy it. You can't use your money. You got to buy their tokens. Then you put your tokens in the, tokens in the machine, and, 
and the machines go really fast. They take take up the tokens fast, but it's not real money. So you don't really think about it as money. And then all of a sudden, these, these little tickets that come out of the, the machine, and there's strings of tickets. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and there's strings of tickets. And then they take some of these tickets, they get these tickets in their hand and go, what do we do with these? And then they see the counter over there. And you need like a thousand tickets or 500 tickets, you know. And so there's more more um, tokens going in so that we can get more tickets to get the little water pistol at the end. You know? <laughs> and so you see this, you see the, the scam going on there. And that's what I think of what was happening here. What had happened was that they had set up these booths around the outside of the temple in where the Gentiles went. And so they would have places where you could buy a, buy a sacrifice pigeon or a dove, but sometimes it's translated pigeon or dove or some other sort of sacrifice that you could then take in to the temple. And uh, this is a and the other thing they had was money changers, because the, the rule in the temple, according to the Bible in the Old Testament, was you'd have to use a shekel. So they would change the money from whatever uh, first place you were coming from. And you would have to change the money into shekels, and then you'd have to use the shekels to buy the pigeon, okay? And then you'd have to buy it from the person in, in the temple area, because if you didn't, you'd have to, uh, they'd look at it and they'd go, well, that's not, that's not a good pigeon, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it wouldn't be approved. And so they had this going on, and Jesus walks in and says, this is not how it's supposed to be. Because basically, they were excluding people because they were charging high prices for these animals and high, high uh, exchange rates and just making a, a lot of money. And there was even some history that says that one of the high priests named Annas had a system and kind of owned all that and rented it out to people so that he could make money. So, uh, but not getting into that too much. Just to understand that these people were, were doing something in the temple that it wasn't designed for. And Jesus comes in and, 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 you know, does what he does, overturns the tables, and he uh, drives out these people. And uh, the seats of those who sold pigeons, he turned them over, overturned them. And so you have a, a situation where this is how they'd always done it. This is what they did. This is how they made some money. And, they, and Jesus goes in there and he upsets it, Right? But let me, let me throw it out there as a question. Why was Jesus so upset with these buyers and sellers? Why was he upset? What was the biggest thing that they were doing wrong? Uh, maybe that, I, I mean, it's supposed to be a place where you're honoring God and they're just kind of honoring them or doing what's right for themselves. Yeah. Well, he says, My house shall be called the house of prayer. This is in verse 13. But you made it a den of robbers. Now, this, this phrase, den of robbers, is uh, something from Jeremiah chapter 7. And in the context of that, we won't read all of that, but in the context of Jeremiah 7, the den of robbers. Was in, was in context of them doing a lot of other bad things. Stealing, murdering, worshiping false gods, having uh, a lot of bad things in, in, the, in their life. 
And so what I believe that what Jesus was doing here was not really so much that it was the action, it was the heart and the attitude toward the temple and the purpose of that temple being there as a place of worship, as a place of prayer. And uh, the other thing was it was excluding people because if people didn't have the money to pay for all these, or if they were, you know, they, didn't, they were poor or they were Gentiles who couldn't go to certain places. Uh, there's the same identical story in Mark talks about how Jesus quotes Isaiah saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So we, we wanted it to be open to everybody, not just the poor people, not just the, you know, I mean, not just the Jewish people, but also the Gentiles, not just the poor, rich people, but also the poor people. He wanted it to be open for everybody. So, he, he's upset by this purpose that they're using the temple for that isn't the, the uh, intended purpose, I guess you could say. And we'll get to more about that, that in a minute, but we'll kind of finish the, the whole part there. Verse 14 says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And we'll stop there for a minute. What, what was so bad about, Jesus just turned over all their tables. He had just told them that they were doing things wrong in the temple by allowing this. And he's just done these wonderful things of healing the blind, I mean healing the lame and, and giving sight to the blind. And the thing they get upset about it and indignant about is that there's people there saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Why is that significant? Why was that the thing that, I guess, ticked them off the most? Because they were, the, that ticked them off? That ticked off the, the chief priests, yes. Because they're acknowledging Jesus as um, holy God versus as God, basically as the mm -hmm. Messiah. Um, one of the things that Jesus says, he, he calls the temple my house, remember? By calling the temple my house, he's claiming deity. And then he's, uh, and then he quotes uh, this, this thing where it says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise. Now we don't have time to go to Psalm Eight, but in Psalm 8, uh, verse 2, this is a quote from that. And, it's, and, it's, and the whole psalm is about God. <laughs> you know, uh, it's about praise of God, worshiping God. And so it's in the context of look, even, there's other parts of Psalm 8. Maybe we should just look there for a second. I don't Psalm 8 is, they would have known this. These people were well-versed in, in the scriptures. No pun intended. <laughs> but uh, you look at it, it says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies you and infants you have established strength. Now that's a different, slightly different translation. The word strength 
is the word oz, and the word praise is the word elbows. And Jesus quotes it as saying praise. And so somewhere in along the line there, um, <laughs> something got mixed up. But it, most of the translations say strength or whatever. But in the context, that's not the point I want to get made here. In the context, it's praising God. That's the key thing we got to see. So when Jesus says, have you never read this? Haven't you guys ever read this where it says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you prepare praise? Now, these were younger people, children, maybe around 12, 14 years old. It seems like they would be the, some of the first people coming into the temple, and they're, they're praising Jesus. And so uh, that, that really uh, upset them a lot. The other thing is that, uh, I won't go to these scriptures because we just don't have time today, but in Isaiah 29, 18 and 19, it talks about the Messiah in the context of the one that would make the blind see, right? And in Isaiah 35, it talks about the lame man will leap like a deer. So you have these scriptures that talk about, in the context of the Messiah, the one who was to come, Jesus is fulfilling all those things. He's healing, healing the lame. He's making the blind see. He's saying that these people are praising me. He's identifying as, as God, as deity. And uh, so that's, I think, what, what, what upset them the most. Then we have the next part, verse 18, uh, about the fig tree. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So Jesus curses the fig tree. Now what is this, what is this about? Why is, why, what is he trying to show here? What, what's your first general thought that comes to mind when you look at verse 18 and 19? Why does he see leaves on the fig tree Find no, no fruit and then curse it. He's angry. <laughs> He's angry. <laughs> I get it. Cross between hungry and angry. That's funny. <laughs> That's one thing, yeah. But but there's another aspect I think he's trying to say and and, and uh, it's it's the fact that there's there's leaves on that tree. And uh, different people have commented about this and that they don't kind of, they don't really agree. But I think the main thing he's, he's saying is there's no fruit, even though there's the promise of fruit because it looks like a live fig tree and this, there should be some, a few figs laying around, but there's not. And I think that it's kind of a, a symbolic thing that he's doing to show that there, if there's no fruit, even if there's an outward manifestation of something, of religion or faith, it's useless without there being fruit, because we'll see that going on in the story. And I put up this thing here because I wanted to kind of get a, uh, get a flow of what um, 
what was going on here. Because you see, up to this point, people have rejected Jesus. These people have rejected Jesus. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they rejected Jesus. But this is the point where Jesus is beginning to judge them. He's beginning to, to pronounce judgment on that rejection. And he's rejecting those who would reject him. So when we look at this, this event, when we think of the temple cleansing, okay, he's, he's cleansed, he's, not, he's, he's knocked over the money changers' tables, and he's knocked over the, where they're selling animals. What is the judgment for in that context? What do you think it would be? What is he trying to say there? He's evicting and judging those not having reverence. Not having reverence. Okay, no reverence. What else? They're using the temple for how would you phrase that? They're using the the worship of God, a place of worship, for for monetary gain, right? Anything else about the temple plan? Anything else about the temple cleansing that he's judging them for? It's, I mean, like you were saying, it seems to be connected with a rejection, or they don't they don't like him as being recognized as Messiah or Son of David. Yeah. But in, in regards to the temple itself and the okay. overturning of the t- uh, tables, I think. I think it's kind of in this using the place of worship for money, monetary gain, and and not having reverence for for the purpose, I guess, of, uh, of the temple. What about fig tree? What is that trying to? What is the judgment based on? No fruit. No fruit. That's it. And so no fruit. I like I like this word here. Judgment on those with ostentatious displays of religiousness. Right? You guys, if you don't know what the word ostentatious means, Google it because it's a, it's a, it's one that you'll remember for this purpose of a fig tree. You can have these. We can have these outward displays of being. Uh, Religious, uh, of being faith, having a lot of faith, being able to talk the talk, but there's no fruit in our lives. So that's kind of what the judgment is about there. So we'll move on to the parable of, well, actually, there's a section in here about how they ask him. So we'll get to that one. Verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? 
But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. You can just kind of picture this. It's kind of like, you know, Jared mentioned family feud last week. You know when they, they, they have to get the right answer, so they kind of get an huddle. It's got to be this, it's got to be this. So their big answer was, what is it? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know if... Uh, we don't know if the baptism of John or the teaching of John came from heaven or, uh, or from from man, from himself. Because if they were to say it, if they were, they would. Uh, what would they have to admit about Jesus if they said that? He was God. Right, he was the Messiah. Because that's what John said. Because remember, in John, is recorded as saying. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That's in the book of John. But in the book of Matthew, we also read about how he said, um, there's one who's coming after me, who was before me. In other words, he pre-existed. Whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. And he said many things about Jesus. So if they say that it came from heaven, and it was God's God's message, then they'd have to conclude that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't want to do that. And then they would lose all credibility if they said John was just a man who didn't speak from God. So they just said, we don't know. And some people have said that Jesus asked them this question because they were looking for a way to find him guilty of blasphemy if he was to say, I'm, uh, I have the authority of God the Father. If he was to say that, then maybe... Uh, they would they would have taken him right there, but I don't know if that's true. We don't know. Jesus, I think, was trying to get them to see their error, and he's trying to uh, he's trying to catch them in their own words. Because later on, you see that they're trying to catch him in his word and what he's saying, and uh, kind of like a like a courtroom or something. So they've challenged Jesus' authority, and he begins to, right after he talks about this authority, by what authority he did these things, it says that he told them another parable. And he says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. I believe that what this is teaching is that what matters is li- living for God, not saying the right words. They could talk the talk, but they, un- their hearts were unrepentant. And Jesus said, these people that do repent, like John told them to, are going to enter the kingdom of God before him, before you. So what were they being condemned for? 
Look at verse 32. What are they being condemned for there? What are they being judged for? Their disbelief. Pride. There's a phrase I'm kind of looking for that's very important. Disbelief, pride, yeah. Not changing their minds? Not changing their minds and believing, right? Jesus was expecting them. Jesus said that what is expected of you as, as you see what I do and who I am and the miracles that I do is that you change your mind and begin to believe on me. That is, that is a response Jesus asks them, I believe, of everybody. So they're being judged for seeing what they'd seen and not changing their minds. When he says, even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. So they had a chance. Even though they said, you know, they were people that, that talked to talk as if they were doing the right thing, they really didn't do what God had told them to do. And they were like the people who said, yeah, I'll do it, but didn't. Okay? It's like when you're, when you're a teenager and your parents tell you to get up in the morning and you say, okay, I'm up. And you and you lay in bed, right? <laughs> He's still. I do that now. We do that. <laughs> well, you kind of, we kind of, you know. I remember having those arguments with my mom. I am up. I'm getting up. I'm almost up. <laughs> you know, it's it's like saying one thing and not doing it. Now these people said, "Yes, we are of God. We love God. We are into God and everything." But when they saw Christ, they didn't change their mind and believe on Him like the people who said, no, I don't believe, but then they saw Jesus and believed. And that's the required response of that. Yeah. Afterwards, uh, when he married me, his big answer was, I'm just thinking of what to wear. (laughs) 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 Well, I was in bed. I was in bed. I just had to remind you of that. <laughs> I was thinking of what to wear. <laughs> was that me? I thought that was you. No, I was that, that was you. She's on bike and you can't believe it. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, the next parable is what about tenants. Okay. Verse 33 says, Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent the servants to to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other (coughs) servants more than the first, and they did the same to him, same to them. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Jesus has set up this parable really well. And so he's got the people going, Wow, that's that's crazy. They're killing the servants and they're, they're killing the son of the... Of the, uh, 
of the master of the house who owns all that? That's horrible. And so what they say, verse 41, they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. And let, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So then, just in thinking about this a little bit, you have these, these uh, this guy that, this, who plants a vineyard, he puts a fence around it to protect it from intruders, right? He digs a wine press in it to make the wine. He's evidently got plans for it to produce fruit and also to be protected because he builds a tower also. So he's got plans. He's got a design in mind. And we could talk a lot about what this parable might mean in terms of Israel and, and, and different things like that, but I think it's important to just get the main part of uh, teaching of what it's about. And and to understand that it's, it's talking about he's setting them up to condemn themselves and who they are. Because after, he, after they said, well, he's just going to put those guys to death. He's going to put them to a miserable death. I like that, miserable death. It's not just a death, you know, miserable one. And let the vineyard, or lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits, who will do the right thing. And Jesus applies it to them. He says, have you ever read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Now this stone that the builders rejected thing, I think all, most of you were here when we went through Peter and we talked about this quite a bit at length. And so I won't talk about it too much more other than to re recognize that the stone that the builders rejected Jesus, it applies to Christ, and Peter applies it to Christ, and it's applied to Christ at several points in, in, in the Bible. But there's another part of this that, that I think it's important to stress, and that this son who was killed and thrown out, who is that? Who does that kind of represent? Jesus. Very good. You know how you have this answers when the correct answer is Jesus. People just say Jesus all the time. But in this case it's right. So yeah, it's Jesus. But Hilarious is just very smart. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. I feel like everyone rejected Jesus. They rejected the Son. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus is, is kind of setting up this picture of what they're doing there as as uh, the, the master of the house who plants the vineyard. Uh, a lot of people kind of see in that Israel. Now, it's kind of dangerous to kind of set, put a one-to-one -one relationship with everything in a parable to in everything in, uh, that's there that maybe uh, we shouldn't do that. But in this case, there's, there's, there's reason to believe that when, when the Bible speaks about a vineyard, that's talking about the nation of Israel and, and God's protection on the nation of Israel and his establishment of Israel. So he's planted this vineyard and he's put a fence around it and he's dug a wine press and he's built a tower and he's put people in charge of it to look after it. And those would be the people that would be lead Israel, the, the, the rabbis and the, the leadership of the temple. And so when we think of the, this, 
is that those guys were charged with doing the leading of people in, in, uh, in the ways of God. And, and, so, and so when it says, getting a little lost here. <laughs> oh yeah, I see what it is. Said, Jesus says, have you ever read in scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, okay? So he's saying that he himself is the one that they rejected, that they have rejected. And their answer was, we're going to get other tenants who will do the right, right thing and make the right fruit happen. And will do the right thing with that vineyard. So look at verse 43. Jesus says, because you've rejected me, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, you guys in leadership of the temple, of the things that, of the scriptures, put it that way. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Other people, in other words, people that would accept Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of those scriptures that they were supposed to protect. And steward, I guess you could say. So when they say we, he would have leased it to somebody else and killed those guys, they're pronouncing a judgment on themselves. Because you look at the, he goes on to say, and the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now I, I have the, uh, the scripture here. Uh, from Daniel what talk, that talks about the stone that crushes. And I don't have time to go into all that other than to say that not only was it the stone a cornerstone, but it's also talked about as, as a, a stone that destroys the world that's in rebellion to God. So there's a judgment that's, that's on the people who reject Jesus Christ. It says, the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone... It will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, plural, parables, the one about the two sons and this one, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So we're looking at this Thing about the tenants. So, what is the judgment for? As we looking at that, what is the judgment on the tenants? The tenants who, who killed the son of the heir, and the tenants um, who killed and beat the servants. That's kind of an allusion to uh, the rejection of the prophets and the prophets that have been killed sometimes. It's like they're forgetting the master, or they're, or maybe not forgetting, but they they want the proceeds for themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess the one thing would be the rejection of of the heir, right? Yeah. And the killing. So, how would we phrase that? They wanted the proceeds. They wanted to keep. They wanted to keep the kingdom. I would say keep control over the 
their, their, their domain. Yeah. Rejection of the sun. Let me put that in there. Keep control of what they thought was theirs. I'm just going to put theirs. So there's a judgment. They rejected the sun. They killed it. And the other, the, what is the judgment about those people? It's in verse uh, 43. What is the judgment on those people that were supposed to be in charge of looking after that vineyard? Meaning the, the Pharisees, the, lead, the religious leaders who were in charge of looking after the temple and, and sharing the scriptures with people. It's taken away. It was taken away. Okay. Taken away. Actually, I got this in the wrong place. Taking away leadership. Okay. Finally, the final parable is the wedding invitation. Chapter 22. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come again he sent other servants saying tell those who were invited see I've prepared my dinner my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast but they paid no attention and went off one to his farm another to his business while the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully and killed them the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. There's a lot in this parable. But the first thing we need to think about is that it's, it's pretty outrageous. And in that context of those people, uh, the idea of a king inviting you to the wedding, it would be a big insult to, to turn it down. And I was thinking about modern weddings that they have, and I was thinking about like a few years ago they had Brad Pitt, and uh, they had a wedding with Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. I'm not going to say Lopez, but Aniston is the correct one. <laughs> and I remember that they had these stories about the, uh, the helicopters that were, were, that were going over to try to get pictures of this wedding and uh, how everybody wanted to be at the wedding. And it was, it was a big deal. I, I think this is kind of the picture he's setting up. 
So they get this invitation to come to this feast, to come to the wedding, and everything is ready, it says in verse 4. Come to the wedding feast. They paid no attention and went off. So they're indifferent. They're indifferent. One to his farm, another to his business. Then there's, a, there's this group that don't care. They're indifferent. They're apathetic. And then there's ones that look at it says, the rest seized their servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Again, Jesus is painting this picture of, you're doing the wrong thing with the servants of God. You're doing the wrong thing in rejection of John the Baptist and Jesus himself. And also, I, I suppose he's alluding to other people before that. So you have these two things that go on. These are the people that were invited, right? They're originally invited, and then the, the, they don't want to come. They're indifferent to it. And the idea that people would be indifferent to a king, king's wedding, a big feast, it might be the moment of their lives. And so the, it was, it's, it really, uh, it would have caught people off guard to say, here, these guys were indifferent. And some of them just went and killed, killed the servants of the king. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, I don't know that this is necessarily prophetic, uh, but there is, there is a, a thing that happened in 70 AD, we find out that, uh, I'll find it here. There's this guy named Titus Vespasian. He's a Roman general. In 70 AD, he came to Jerusalem and he conquered Jerusalem. He overthrew Jerusalem and, and killed 1.1 million people. And he burned the city and threw their bodies over the wall. It was horrible. And so, the judgment on Jerusalem is kind of alluded to here. I believe it's kind of prophesied here by Jesus because at other points he does prophesy more specifically about the overthrow of Jerusalem. So some of this is a parable, but there's in it some, some allusions to things that actually happen. So this king being angry, this is talking about God. This is talking about God being angry at the treatment of people who were invited to this wedding, invited to take part in this, this great thing that was happening, and they're indifferent, and they're hostile. And then he said to his servants, verse 8, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Now, why weren't they worthy? Just that question, because it says here, they were not worthy. Why were they not worthy? What was not worthy? Their hearts. Right. Well, what is the main reason that they would be considered unworthy? They reject the invitation. They rejected the invitation. The wedding invitation. The judgment on them was for rejecting the invitation and being what? They were apathetic, right? <laughs> Invite. 
they were indifferent, right? And what else? They're indifferent to the invitation. They said, you know, this word here, it talks about their place of business. It's from what, well, the word we get, emporium or empire. They had their little empire out there, and they were busy with it. And they went to it, and they did it. And they weren't concerned about this important feast, this important invitation. And if you remember back in Matthew 8, could somebody read this? Matthew 8, verse 11 and 12. Now, back in Matthew 8, there, there was a situation where the woman had faith, I believe. I just have the verse here, but it's very, uh, very similar. It's the centurion with his servant, but the centurion, but centurion has faith. Yeah. The centurion had faith, and uh, he believed Jesus could, could heal. And Jesus is commending his faith, right? And uh, if somebody could read, um, well, this is the guy that said, when I have servants and I say, come, they do it. And if I, you know, if I say do this, he does it. And verse, somebody read verse 10 and 11 and 12. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east, west, and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus talks about this thing happening where people will recline at the table, will be in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is he's talking about Israel. Uh, Israel, in fact, Jacob, another name for Jacob is Israel. So this is this is the, the lineage of, of faith is that he's talking about. But he says the sons of the kingdom, the ones that are in this lineage, will be thrown out. He says there's going to be all these other people coming in, and these people that don't believe will be thrown out, that don't have the faith in me like this centurion has. And so we get back to the thing in, in uh, chapter 22, we get a situation where where the people that had the original invitation to have this wedding feast, to be in, to be a part of this, to have to have salvation, they were thrown out. And and anybody, look what it says there. Um, what do you notice about verse? Verse 10, and those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So getting back to our question about worthiness, the answer was the only thing that was necessary to be worthy was to accept the invitation. I was blessed by this when I thought, thought about it, you know. I just thought about, you know, 
That's all Jesus asks. He says, accept what I've come to do and give you. And you'll be saved. What about the last part, the very last part about the wedding garment? What do you think this wedding garment is about? What does that represent? Anybody have an idea? Now there's a lot of speculation about you know, whether the king provided wedding garments for some people and uh, whether he should have gone home and got ready and you know made himself a little more presentable or things like that. But I really believe that that it's getting to something that they would have understood. Now back in Isaiah chapter 61, it says, Isaiah 61:10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Now, these people would have understood this. These were religious leaders. So when he talks about the wedding garment, he's talking about the righteousness that wasn't in themselves. It was in their acceptance of, of Jesus and what he offered and his righteousness. And we, and we understand this as believers. We take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We accept his righteousness. But, but he's judging these people for not accepting not accepting the righteousness that's offered. And so the people would have understood this wedding garment thing as, as them being clothed with, with salvation, having, having a robe of righteousness. And how it all fits together is, you know, we could spend a lot of time on that, but we, we know from other passages of scripture that we must be clothed with righteousness by faith in his death and resurrection. Whether we live a good or bad life. Because you see there, he says they go and they found those who are both bad and good. Now people can live a good life and not have God's righteousness in them. And people can be considered bad and come to faith in Christ. And so that's something that I think is very crucial for us to to understand that this this gospel thing, this thing that Jesus offers, this salvation that Jesus offers, this is something that is available to everybody, no matter how you're raised and how you're how you were. Uh, what you knew as a, as a child or how you've grown up. We all must be clothed in this righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. And and so, I'm sorry I'm losing my train of thought a little bit here because I've had to cut out some parts here, but there's one more thing I want to point out. Just look, go, go look back in verse 45 of chapter 21. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Now, I know it's easy to talk about this. 
Pharisees. He's talking about Pharisees. He's talking about those people. But as we hear the word of God, do some of us go, well, he's kind of speaking about me. That's kind of a, not really looking for an answer, but I think that maybe we can identify with some of these things. You know, I, as, I, as I looked at this one, as I thought about it, This big tree one kind of describes my life at times, you know. I, I, I wouldn't know how to talk to talk. My dad was a preacher. I know how to talk about the gospel and being a Christian. Grew up in church. But if there's no fruit in my life, that's not acceptable. And I think maybe maybe in these other things, when we when we use the gathering or or, or our faith in Christ, we're, we're not respecting the purpose for that. And I think we could think of times when we, we could point to people on television using the gospel to, to make money for themselves. And you could easily see something like that, or maybe see the indulgences that the Catholic Church used to sell, and we point to that. Okay, that's what that's talking about. They're using the gospel to make money. But about us, maybe we come to, to Christ and our, our church and our faith for a reason other than the worship of God. Maybe there's something else here. Not changing our mind when we, when we see what Jesus has said to us, what he calls us to, what he's done, who he is. When you see his actions described. Maybe we want to keep control of the things in our life and re reject the sun coming. We're indifferent. Maybe sometimes. Jesus has invited us invited us to this great fellowship, this great place of salvation, this great place of worship, this great celebration, and we're too busy with our own business. I'd say most of us here probably wouldn't be hostile, but I see people being hostile to the gospel all the time. And so there's all these things that we can look at and and see where Jesus pronounced judgment against people based on these different things, based on these different aspects. And he rejected all those things. Ostentatious displays of religion. No reverence for the purpose of the, of, of the temple, or the place of worship, or the gathering for that reason. So I know hopefully that we can we can kind of see, uh, take it to our heart. Kind of like these chief priests and Pharisees, when they heard the parables, they perceived he was speaking about them. Is, is Jesus speaking about us? And our attitude in different things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know we've covered a lot of scripture today lot of different imagery here, but I pray that we would see, we would glean from this thing that you would want us to hear. 
we would glean from this what you would want to say to us today about our hearts, about the fruit in our lives, about us saying one thing and not having the follow-through in obedience to you, about perverting the purpose of the gathering or the faith that we have in you for something else that's something selfish, about spending our time indifferent to the great things you have for us. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is that speaks to our heart today, I pray that you would cause it to be a thing that would, as you said, change our minds when we see it. Change our minds when we look at you. Change our minds when we hear your words and go in, in the way that you have told us to go. I pray that we'd be challenged by that idea. Father, I thank you for your word and thank you that you took the time to say it in so many different ways about how important it is to to trust in you. And just to to not be about our, our own selfish desires. That your kingdom is about you and the salvation you offer. And I just pray that we would see that and, and just think about the people in our lives, Lord, that uh, we did not yet know you. I thank you that we have the salvation. I pray that we have the urgency to share it because you had an urgent thought and you pronounced judgment on those who rejected you. I pray that we would see that and Lord be aware of that and think about that and, and uh, be conscious of the eternal aspect of, of this salvation, this gospel that we preach and teach and try to live. And I pray that you help us live it out mm -hmm. so that people would see it in us, the importance of you and your grace, and your love, and your forgiveness, and the salvation you've offered to us. Yes, this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.